turn in our Bibles to Mark in chapter 4, Mark 4, which we read uh, together uh, today, and we're looking at verses 35 uh, to 41. And in our service today, we'll be trying to learn the three lessons uh, that we have here. Jesus weathers our great storms. Jesus works our great calms. And Jesus wants our great fear. Many of us have had a bad experience of crossing the Irish Sea on the ferry. One of the children mentioned that. For those who suffer from travel sickness, the experience was doubtless horrendous. Starting off along the Belfast Loch was pleasant enough, but when the ferry entered the open sea, everything changed. The ship rose and fell in the waves. People struggled to hold on to their belongings. The rain battered the windows. Nobody was allowed or wanted to go outside. Any thought of food or drink was the last thing from your mind. Everybody just wanted to get through this crossing and land at the other side. Well, magnify that disturbing experience 10 times, no, 20 times, and we're beginning to enter into the experience of the disciples in this story in Mark 4, 35 to 41. We're entering a marvellous section in Mark's Gospel from 4.35 to the end of chapter 5 that we'll be studying over this communion time. It's a section in which Jesus' power, his lordship, his authority is seen over ever more increasing challenging circumstances. He is lord of danger, we see this morning. Lord of death, we'll see this evening. Lord of demons, Lord of disease. All of these events occur around the Lake of Galilee, on the lake, west of the lake, east of the lake. But there is not only a geographical theme in these four wondrous miracle stories pulled together by Mark, there is also this theological theme. Jesus is Lord. We're learning in chapter 6 in our church services about Christian discipleship. We've been learning about discipleship and development, discipleship and suffering, discipleship, the followers, the Christian. But before Mark addresses the Christian disciple's life, he shows us the one we follow, the Christian's Lord. And this is the focus of these communion sermons, Jesus, the Lord of the disciple you're not yet a Christian. These are sermons for you to to reflect on and, and grasp and learn. God commands you to believe in Jesus as Savior and to follow him as your Lord. Set aside for these two weeks your your fascination with political leaders or sports icons or historic legends and study Jesus and his greatness and lordship over every area of life and follow him. If you are a Christian, these four sermons on the lordship of Jesus, I trust, will rekindle our our devotion to him, our, our love for him, 
that, that we will see again his greatness and magnitude, and that we will give ourselves afresh to Jesus Christ as Lord over all. The first area that we're looking at today is Lord over danger in verses 35 to 41 of chapter 4. It's not just that he's Lord of nature, though that is there and reflective of Psalm number 8, but it is nature that is attacking and against the disciples of Jesus. And that's the point, that he is Lord over opposition, over danger, over turmoil and distress in our life. The area is bigger than nature. It's danger. And to emphasize the lordship of Jesus, the the absolute greatness of Jesus, he uses the word great three times in this short paragraph. He uses it intentionally, of course, so that we remember the story. The readers of the, the original document of Mark they had no computer or phone or book uh, to, to look up this story as we have today. They had to hold it in their mind. And so often key phrases or words were repeated in the Bible stories for, for the story to be remembered. And so Mark uses great three times. And what a point that is. That God's word is to be remembered by us. If we can't remember God's word, the comfort of it, the challenge of it will be lost on us. And so in verse 37, he mentions the great storm. Verse 39, the great calm. Verse 41, the great fear. In storytelling, all of us are prone to exaggeration. We exaggerate either to retain the attention of those who are listening to us, Or we exaggerate to exalt ourselves and impress others with how we've achieved. We may exaggerate the pain that we suffered in that that event. We may exaggerate the size of the snake that hissed at us in the safari. We may exaggerate the strength of the wind that we cycled into for 10 miles. Something that is marginally bigger or strong is described by us as great The overuse of great diminishes its value and reduces the impressiveness of the story. But there is no exaggeration in this repeated use of great. The storm was great. The calm was great. The fear was great. And our Saviour, our Lord, the one who is the focus of this section in Mark's Gospel, he weathers our great storm. He works our great calm. He wants our great fear. Let's think, first of all, Jesus weathers our great storms. The disciples, the text says in verse uh, number for 36, they took him as he was. They took him with him just as he was. He had been teaching out of this boat. Such was the crowd that he left the shore, sat out in this boat so, so he could use the acoustics off the, the water to convey his message to all those around this shore in the northern region of Galilee. 
And they took him just as he was in the boat. They headed off, traveling across to the east side of the Lake of Galilee, where there was a majority of a Gentile population. Why Jesus wanted to go on that journey, we don't exactly know. We're not told here Did he want a break from this crowd, as he sometimes often wanted to do. Perhaps it was in pursuit of his evangelical mission that he goes over to this side of the lake where the Gentiles' majority are. We've already seen the type of boat that that was used. Uh, The the 26-foot-long, 7-foot-wide boat uh, with the the low sides, uh, the 4-foot-high sides. It had a maximum capacity of 15 persons. It was rowed by four rowers. And we can see and picture the disciples in this boat, the little side of the boat, allowing the water to fill this boat. The Sea of Galilee, as we've learned before, lies 700 feet below sea level, surrounded by hills, Mount Hermon, reaching up to 9,000 feet. And the warm air from the top of Hermon, meeting the cold air from the depths of Galilee, causes these horrendous and unusual storms on this Lake of Galilee. Today, fishermen on the Lake of Galilee call such a, a, a wind, sharkia, meaning shark. The word in verse number 37, whirlwind, can be translated hurricane. Here was a ferocious, deep, powerful storm, a great storm on the Lake of Galilee. Verse 37, already filling with water, as literally was being filled. Yes, they were trying to empty the boat as best they could, but the water was coming in faster. Not only was the storm outside of them in the lake, the waves were were entering, the water was entering into the boat where they were. A great storm. And they were vulnerable in that storm. In that storm, there are two different reactions noted. One of Jesus, a reaction of faith. Some authors think that Jesus was asleep because he was exhausted from his work preaching most of that day. Now he is tired and someone extremely exhausted would sleep through such an event. Others find the source of his sleep and his self-conscious of consciousness of omnipotence he is the lord god of heaven and he has all power but perhaps the best understanding is to see the faith of jesus here he is as edwards puts it his complete trust in god in the midst of adversity he's asleep it's not a an unconcern for the disciples It's not an indifference to to their troubles and situations. He is trusting in God. By contrast, the disciples in this storm, as you and I would be, are terrified. And their terror, their fear of losing their boat and losing their life, drive them to to this question that they ask Jesus, a, a question of rebuke in verse 38. Teacher, do you not care? That we are perishing. Jesus was with them in this 
great storm. How brilliant that is for us, isn't it? Because storms will come in our life and have come and for some of you are just right here at this moment. Jesus is with his disciples in their storm. In church history, one of the dark and deep storms came to Charles Spurgeon, the London preacher, and there's parallels to the disciples here. Their day started off wonderfully listening to Jesus, crowds interested in the church service. And in the very same day, they're in the presence of this terrifying experience. The deacons in Spurgeon's church decided that they should rent the crystal palace so that more people could hear the gospel through the young preacher, Charles Spurgeon. He came down in his carriage uh, to the crystal palace. Crowds were outside. Crowds were inside. What a hunger there was, just like here, for God's word. But a balcony in the building gave way. Mischief makers shouted fire. 29 people lost their lives at the Crystal Palace, driving Charles Spurgeon into a tailspin of depression. His day started off with such promise, it ended in a great storm. Disciples are not spared the severe challenges of this life. These disciples are committed. They've given up their business They're following Jesus. They've sacrificed so much. But these disciples experience a tremendous storm. They're not thieves. They're not drunkards. They're faithful followers of Jesus. J.C. Ryle comments, Jesus has never promised that we shall have no affliction. He loves us too well to promise that. The storm of persecution comes to some. The storm of bereavement, the storm of unemployment, the storm of illness comes to believers as well as to unbelievers. Imagine the physical exhaustion of these men as they try to to row with these four oars to the land. The sweat, the muscle burn, the heart racing, the, the sweat blinding. Caring for a disabled, sick, frail, loved one has left you physically exhausted. Think of the emotional impact on these men. One moment, the calm, the thrill of the church service. The next moment, this terrifying experience of being near death. And how our life has changed in a moment. That phone call That hospital appointment, that careless word has changed so much in your experience. Think of the mental battles of these disciples. We're disciples of Jesus. We're his apostles. We've sacrificed so much, but we're being terrified in this storm. But Jesus, he was with them. You felt the physical, the mental. The emotional pain of being in a storm. Perhaps like the disciples, we are misspoken about God. 
in such moments, doubting his love and his care. But Jesus weathers our great storms. Secondly, Jesus works our great calms. The mighty storm is calmed not by a prayer, not by an incantation, but by the mighty word of Jesus. Here is the lordship of Jesus over danger. He calms the storm. Quiet, be still. A short sentence, an authoritative, all-powerful word brings these mighty waves to a condition of peace and stillness. He addresses this wind as if it was an animate being and the sea as if it was an unruly heckler. Be quiet, he says. A force threatening him and his disciples, preventing them from the work they were called to. As we've indicated, it has often been pointed out that the language used by Jesus in chapter 4 and verse 39 to calm the storm was used by him in exorcisms. He would say the same words to demons, be quiet, be still. The wind is rebuked or censored by the same word he used in 125 and 312. The Greek word be still carries the sense of muzzled, silence, quietness. Be still and stay still is the idea. In the Old Testament it's not uncommon for wind and water to symbolize hostile forces over which God prevails. Exodus 14, 21 for example. So it seems that we are to see in this miracle more than a nature miracle which illustrates Jesus' extraordinary power. Jesus here is that strong man of chapter 3 who has power not only over nature but over the powers of darkness. He is going to the Gentile region. He is taking the message of the kingdom to the other side where the Gentiles are and the powers of darkness are opposing his progress but he is Lord over danger. But beyond this display of authority over danger is Jesus' revelation that he is God. Many occasions in the Old Testament we have this unique attribute of God that he has power over the waves and the sea, especially in Psalm 107, 23 to 32, which is reflected in Mark's account here. In verse 29 we read, He stilled the storm to a whisper, Psalm 107, and the waves of the sea were hushed. There is God in his greatness and power. Here is Jesus in his greatness and power over the sea. He is God. He is Lord. He is Savior of his people. But not only does Jesus rebuke the winds and the waves, Jesus also in this moment of miracle and lordship rebuke his disciples. He asks them, why are you so afraid? Why have you no faith? 
It's a powerful question. It's a humbling question. A challenging question. Why don't they have trust in the saving God who is among them? Who has performed miracles. Who has revealed his identity. This practical confidence in the supernatural power of God. Lack of faith makes disciples unable to respond to this crisis with the confidence in God that they should have. Rereading the biography of Charles Spurgeon, it was interesting to, to notice that his wife cared for Spurgeon. He was depressed. He was unwell uh, for uh, weeks uh, after the Crystal Palace debacle. And he, he lay in a, in a room and, and slept a lot and in a dark place. Uh, and on one occasion, his wife, after tending to him, uh, stopped at the door as she was leaving and turned and said to him, Don't let Satan win. She perceptively, Susanna Spurgeon, realized that beyond the physical illness that he had and the weakness of his body was the spiritual conflict. Don't let Satan win. That seems to be here in the life of Jesus and the disciples as they extend their, their mission to the other side of the sea, into the region of the Gentiles. And Jesus shows his lordship and authority over all. And in our trial, in our storm, perhaps beyond the physical and the emotional and the mental, there is this spiritual conflict that goes on. So it was with Job. So it was with Peter and his denial of Jesus. So it was with Ananias and Sapphira. So it was with the disciples abandoning Jesus. And so we're warned in the scriptures. The devil is like a roaring lion going about seeking whom he may devour. Jesus works or calm. He is Lord over all. He can calm when he wishes, how he wishes. Every storm in our hearts, every storm in our life, that boss with a fiery temper that rages against you. Jesus is Lord over all. That neighbor who is totally unreasonable in her demands. Jesus is Lord over every storm. Jesus weathers our great storms. Jesus works our great calms. And lastly, Jesus wants our great fear. The disciples, it says, they were filled in verse 41 with great fear. The response of the disciples to the miracle, not to the storm so much or, or to the rebuke of Jesus, where's your faith? The response of the disciples to the miracle, to the calm, is noted. Schweizer describes their fear as a fear which is greater than any fear which they had of the storm. Yes, they were terrified in the storm, but they're more afraid after the storm. 
as they've witnessed the almighty power of Jesus. Our Lord, our Savior, the one we follow, the one at whom at this communion time we remember and before whom we repent, Jesus wants our great fear. This was a common response to the outstanding power of Jesus in the miracles in Mark's Gospel, chapter 5, 15, 6, 50, 9, 6, 16, 8, the resurrection of Jesus. People in the presence of the supernatural, they're afraid. Presumably when the disciples woke Jesus, they were expecting some kind of saving action. But the scale of it overwhelms them. They'd underestimated how great and mighty he was in a moment. The storm is calmed. It is true that storms on the Lake of Galilee can abate as quickly as they can arise. But the reaction of these experienced sailors indicates that this was no natural subsidence of the waters. But by the direct lordship and power and authority of Jesus, the storm ceases. They are filled with great fear. We read of the sailors feeling the same way in their experience in the story of Jonah. They threw him over the side and immediately the sea was calmed. and They were afraid the supernatural power of God. We're better able to handle the possibility of our own death as the disciples were than the presence of the supernatural among us. God's nearness in Jesus is not something in this case that is reassuring, but something that is unsettling. They were filled with great fear. That fear is expressed in the question that the story ends with. Who then is this? They thought they knew. But he is greater than who they thought they knew he was. Recently in reading accounts of revival across the UK... The point is made within the story which has been challenging for me and encouraging for me that prayer, somehow prayer has preceded these revivals. God compels and encourages and constrains his people to start praying for revival within their nation and then in his providential ways change and blessing has come. But it's added by those who have experienced such an outpouring of God's spirit and blessing that the experience was unsettling. And they advise that we're to be careful what we pray for. The presence of the supernatural power of God demonstrated in an overwhelming way is something scary. Do you think we have enough reverence for God in our lives? Do you think we have enough fear of the Lord Jesus as disciples of his? 
my closest friend at secondary school, he was banned from taking books out of the school library because he used a a black marker pen to, to score out any time in the library books that the name of Jesus was misused. He was a young disciple who feared the Lord. Sometimes our worship is described as traditional. And it irks me a little. Maybe it should irk me a lot more. But it irks me a little. The implication is that our worship is not contemporary. Our worship is not relevant to our times. The people's lives. We sing psalms. It's traditional. Dated. Out of touch. I argue that it's biblical. Each element commanded by God in Scripture, singing inspired praise, inerrant psalms to God, because we fear Him. We don't want to sing fallible, wrong, disrespectful words to one who is so awesome. And this is the attitude of disciples encouraged here. They were wrong in their doubting. They were wrong in their questioning of Jesus' love. But they were right in this. That they feared in the presence of the Lord of danger. As we come to communion next Sabbath day, let us reflect on the greatness of Jesus. The one who weathers our great storms. The one who works our great calms. The one who wants our great fear. It has been a precious story within the Christian church. The early art includes this story as it depicts the church in the presence of a storm. As the church went through the ten cycles of persecution under the Roman Empire. Storms will come. Storms are here in our families and in our lives. But Jesus is with his people in in their storms. And he will deliver us either in this life or after this life is over. But more important than our rescue is his revelation. The disciples were more fascinated with who he was than their security. The story ends as we're to end. Who then is this?